We're pleased to have with us uh, Justin Wax, my son, who is going to preach for us today, recently of Haven Baptist Church in Huntsville, Alabama, and uh, soon to be of uh, somewhere in Poland. Uh, I'm not sure exactly, uh, I can't pronounce the name of the place, but uh, maybe you'll help us with that. And uh, Justin, come and preach for us. Tell us what the Lord has laid on your heart. Well, good morning. If you'll turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, we're going to be in the last part of Ephesians chapter 6 this morning. The name of the village is Fimowo Piski. I have trouble pronouncing that as well. It's in northeastern Poland. <laughs> as you turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6, I want to tell you about some special operators. 16 years ago, on August 16, 2002, a team of 22 U.S. special operators were maneuvering on the ground in an Afghan valley. They were hunting terrorists that were tied to the attacks on 9-11. The team was on edge knowing that they were being watched in the darkness. Flying overhead was a Air Force pilot, uh, Captain Mike Drowley. He was better known by his call sign as Johnny Bravo. He was enjoying a peaceful night above the clouds. He was serene, he saw the stars, uh, full view. Johnny Bravo and his wingman were circling above the valley in their A-10 Warthog aircraft, and they were on standby in case uh, any help was needed from the ground. Now, if you know anything about the A-10, the A-10 is not a fighter plane, it's an attack aircraft. And ideally, the A-10 pilot and the troops on the ground can see one another. Uh, helps with coordination, gives one another confidence, a feeling of assurance that the air crew can help if necessary. Uh, however, the thick clouds uh, that dark night and the mountainous terrain prevented the two parties from seeing one another that night. And so really the only way the pilot and, and the troops on the ground had, had any contact with one another was through radio contact. And though Johnny Bravo couldn't see what those operators were seeing, he could, he could feel the anxiety of those special operators on the ground. And so what he heard on the radio prompted Johnny Bravo to act. And Simon Sinek talks about this in his book, Leaders Eat Last. He explains what happened next. Johnny Bravo decided he needed to conduct what's called a weather letdown. And this meant that he would drop below the clouds and so he could see what was happening on the ground. And uh, this was really a daring and dangerous move because uh, he was only um, going to be just you know, maybe a thousand feet above the ground. There were storms in the area. The valley is is uh, is, is treacherous because it's narrow. There's narrow corridors, um, and and also Johnny Bravo's field of vision was going to be uh, somewhat clouded because of his night vision goggles, restricted by his night vision goggles. Um, so Johnny Bravo was told not to perform this this uh, high risk maneuver, uh, but Johnny Bravo was not like most pilots. Johnny Bravo knew the men on the ground needed him to perform the weather letdown, and so for Johnny Bravo, that meant that it was the right thing to do. So while he was preparing to execute the maneuver, he heard the words crackle over the radio, troops in contact. So when Johnny finished diving through the clouds, he was less than 1,000 feet above the ground, flying in the valley. Now keep in mind, this is 2002. The avionics are not nearly as good as they are now. 
or as advanced as they are now, so they couldn't prevent him from slamming into the mountainside. Uh, Johnny Bravo also had to rely on old Soviet maps left over from the Soviet-Afghan War in the 1980s, which may or may not have been reliable. So as Johnny Bravo is flying through the valley, he trains his guns on where he can see the enemy fire originating. He counts one 1,000, two 1,000, three 1,000, until he runs out of room, and then he pulls a stick down, and into the clouds he goes to avoid colliding with the mountain. And Johnny Bravo, as he's doing this, he's wondering if his um, actions are having any effect. And suddenly the traffic, the radio traffic crackles over the radio. Good hits, good hits, keep them coming. So Johnny Bravo makes another run, and another run, and another. He was, he was good on fuel, he was providing effective fire. The problem now is that he runs out of ammunition. And so Johnny Bravo climbs back into above the clouds. He brings his wingman up to speed on the situation. He escorts him down through the clouds, and he does the counting while his partner provides the fire support. On cue, the planes pull their high G turns and disappear into the clouds, and they drop down again, over and over again. They repeat this process. And that night, 22 operators went home alive. There were no American casualties. And I tell you that story because we need the kind of courage that Johnny Bravo had that night. And we also need to be willing to engage in spiritual battle. And in a lot of ways, we're like those soldiers on the ground, too. We need... Um, a hero. We need someone who is willing to descend through the clouds to come to earth and battle the sin of battle the scourge of sin and death and deliver victory that we cannot deliver by ourselves. And we sang about it just a few moments ago. He trampled sin and death. We have this in Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, he descended through the clouds and confronted sin and death face to face on our behalf. And is victorious. Now I want to ask you to do something. I want you to think about one very real and present battle going on in your life right now. I want you to look it in the eye and I want you to give it a name. It may be a struggle with temptation. It may be a struggle where you're struggling to forgive someone. It may be a broken relationship. It could be an addiction. It could be anxiety. It could be fear. Whatever it is. One battle that you are fighting or, or maybe a close loved one or friend that you know is fighting and I want you to keep that in the back of your mind uh, for the moment and this morning we're going to see that it is in the very nature of God to supply the strength and protection we need to fight the battles that lie before us our scripture focus this morning is going to be on Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 through 20 I'd ask you to stand out of respect for the reading of God's word we're going to kind of fast forward through the book of Ephesians end up in Ephesians chapter 6 And hear Paul's closing comments. Hear the word of the Lord. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist an evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand therefore with truth like a belt around your waist. Righteousness like armor on your chest. And your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God. Pray at all times in the spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth. 
and make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. This is the word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Father God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O Lord, you are my strength. You are my rock and my redeemer. I ask these things in your son's name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. What we see in this text is the Apostle Paul is instructing the Ephesians to conduct some pre-combat checks. Because God is eternal, his word is eternal. God commanded the Ephesians and those of us listening today to don our mission, the mission essential gear of God to prepare for the spiritual battles that lie before us and rely on his strength to deliver the victory. He does this through our obedience, his faithfulness, our perseverance and prayer. So what I want you to recognize today is that you can be spiritually victorious if you conduct your pre-combat checks and if you rely on God's strength. So the first step of achieving victory, how do Christians achieve victory? It's by following the commands of our leader. In this passage, the Apostle Paul views the Ephesian Christians as frontline soldiers. And under the influence of the Holy Spirit, he provides his final commands to the Ephesian Christians ahead of the battle that he knows they will face. And here's the first of Paul's four commands he gives to his Ephesian warriors. Look at with me in verse 10. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. So number one, what I want you to see is that our strength for the battle comes from the Lord in his unlimited arsenal. You know, the theme of God being our strength is really interwoven throughout Scripture. You see this as, you know, very early in, in the Bible. In Deuteronomy, uh, the Bible says the Lord goes before us. In Psalm 18, David calls the Lord his strength. The theme of the whole psalm is, is God demonstrating his loyalty, his faithfulness, protection, and utterly destroying David's enemies. In Psalm 28, 7, David calls the Lord his strength and shield. In Psalm 46, the sons of Korah refer to God as their refuge and strength. Now, I think the tendency for those of us who are somewhat familiar with this passage of Ephesians is to kind of accelerate past this verse and kind of move into uh, the armor of God and, and what we need to put on. But we need to slow down and pause at this verse because this verse is so crucial to this passage. We need to consider the truth and command that God wants us to grasp. We must rely on his strength for the victory. Johnny Bravo brought strength to those operators on the ground that they could not bring on their own. Those operators relied on the power much higher than them to deliver the strength they needed. And in the same way, we can rely on God's strength for the battles we face. What is the battle you face? What would it look like if you relied on God's strength to take on that struggle? Now keep in mind, God is undefeated. He provided strength for Joshua, for David, for Paul. Now, Paul became the greatest ambassador for Christ the world has ever known. Talked about, we sang about how God, through Jesus, defeats sin and death for us. You can draw strength for the battle from the Lord. You can tap into his unlimited arsenal and you can trust him because of his record, his undefeated record. So not only can you remember that your strength for the battle comes from the Lord, but you can also... And you should also go into battle wearing the mission essential gear of God. And we see this in verses 11 and 13 through 17. Christians must suit up with all mission essential gear to stand against the enemy. 
Putting on the full armor of God is what allows you to stand. Notice that this is a repeated command in this, in this passage of Scripture. There's, there's emphasis here. You must put on the full armor of God to resist and to stand in the evil day. It's non-negotiable. Christians must be prepared to fight. The belt of truth. Read this in this passage. It deals with the Christian relying on the truth of God's word to support him through life. Our lives should reflect the truth in how we lead our families, how we raise our children, interact with our neighbors, interact with our colleagues at work. The belt surrounds a person's body. And in the same way, we must surround ourselves and our lives with the truth of God's word. Also keep in mind that the belt holds the scabbard. We must not only rely on the word of God during the fight, we must march into battle firmly in the truth and ready to draw upon the word of God at every moment. And so being ready to draw on the word of God means that we need to know the word of God. We need to commit it to memory. Warren Wearsby writes, A man of integrity with a clear conscience can face the enemy without fear. The girdle also held the sword. Unless we practice the truth, we cannot use the word of truth. Once a lie get into, gets into the life of a believer, everything begins to fall apart. For over a year, King David lied about his sin with Bathsheba and nothing went right. So wearing the belt of truth means being, means being honest with other believers about sin, about struggles. And it means humbling yourself. Thomas Constable writes, People of that time did not normally wear a belt in the house, but when they faced some vigorous action, such as running or when a soldier was preparing for battle, they raised their loose robes above the knees and fastened them in place with the belt. Thus, the girding of the loins meant preparation for physical activity, whereas here, for engaging in conflict. So when you don the belt of truth, and you commit to living a life of truth and integrity, that is key to being successful in the battles of life. You know, militaries around the world are constantly evaluating uh, the, the gear, the mission essential gear that they give their troops and equip their troops for battle. And I'm sure those special operators on the ground in Afghanistan or in Johnny Bravo, you know, who was supporting them, they had the best equipment that, that they had at that time that the military had to offer. In recent months, you know, the, the Army is, is tinkering with uh, a lighter helmet. They want to introduce a lighter helmet. They're, they're tinkering with the idea of having drones carry some equipment for soldiers. They're trying to increase the speed and agility that soldiers can move on the battlefield. A few years ago, uh, the Army transitioned from the, M, uh, the M16 to the M4 rifle, which has a shorter barrel, allows you know, lesser load that the soldier has to carry. Because the Army wants the soldiers, when they go out on that mission, to have all the right equipment and that mission essential gear. So that, that includes body armor, it includes Kevlar, it includes magazines, um, M4 with scope, eye protection. Every single piece of equipment is essential. And before those soldiers move into battle, their squad leaders are checking them and making sure they have all the equipment that they need and are prepared and ready for what the enemy is, is going to throw at them when they step onto the battlefield. And in the same way, Paul, he wants the Ephesians to be ready to prevail against their enemy. Make no mistake, you and I have an enemy. In 1 Peter chapter 5, the Bible says that he prowls around, roams around like a roaring lion, lion seeking to devour. So you must be prepared and you must be ready to stand over your adversary victorious when the battle comes. I also want you to note that Paul is talking to the Ephesians, plural. He's not talking to an Ephesian. 
So we go into battle alongside one another. Take comfort in that. We're fighting a common enemy. So don't fall victim to the temptation to isolate yourself from the body of believers, from the church, because we need one another. Remember, a lion wants to devour. He wants to take on um, the prey that is isolated. So do not do that. Every piece of equipment is essential. So don't gloss over any of these items that Paul mentions. Paul already discussed the belt of truth and how important it is to surround ourselves with the truth of God's word. The breastplate of righteousness, it symbolizes the life that we live. Either we live in the spirit and we follow the path of righteousness or we do not. The breastplate covers the body from the neck to the waist and both the front and the back. When Satan attacks Christians, the righteousness of Christ is what defends us. Our daily decisions, whether to follow Christ, either fortify us or leave us vulnerable. Paul uses the helmet of salvation analogy because salvation is a decision that we make with our minds. We mentally choose to submit to God and come to him and repent of our sins. And we consciously and continually place our trust in him and his strength. Soldiers protect their heads and then they work, work their way down, adding additional gear from there. Your feet must be sandaled with the gospel because God wants you to remember that you must carry out your mission. And that is advancing the gospel. That is advancing God's redemptive plan. God intends to use you to spread the good news to every nation, tribe, and tongue. But you must share the gospel of peace. Now notice how just verses before, if we back up a little bit, uh, Paul addresses children and fathers in this uh, passage, in his closing remarks to the Ephesians. He says... And I want you to see this, that kids, you have a responsibility here. At the very beginning of, verse, uh, of chapter 6 and verse 1, he says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. You have a responsibility to prepare for battle too. And you primarily do this by obeying your parents in the Lord, and honoring your father and your mother. And fathers, note verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, you are responsible for the training and instruction your children receive before they go into battle. Are you teaching them to trust in the word of God? Are you explaining to them God's word? Are you explaining them the sword of the spirit that they have in prayer and how they are their greatest weapons? The sword of the spirit and prayer are offensive weapons and they're going to help you counterattack when the enemy attacks you. To use the sword of the Spirit effectively, you must study it and commit it to memory. So we must be ever mindful that we are at war. The enemy is going to attack your faith. He's going to attack your marriage. He's going to attack your family. And some of you may already be aware of this reality. And you must remember that if you are in Christ, God marches into battle and ready to fight that battle for you. In every battle, communication is the key. You must continually pray and rely on God and his strength to deliver the victory. So in addition to donning the mission essential gear, Christians also need to appreciate the nature of the struggle. And I want you to see that in in verse 12, we see that you must understand that the, the struggle is not what it may seem on the surface. Verse 12, Paul writes, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness 
against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Your struggle is cosmic, and it involves spiritual forces at the earthly level and beyond. And you understand that it's not just a flesh and blood struggle. And we see this. We see this even on the news. You know, just such evil that's committed in our own country and across the world. There's, there's cosmic and demonic forces at work. Now, Paul doesn't want to discourage us when he references these forces. He wants to sober us. He wants us to understand how important it is that we go into these battles prepared. And we can rely on God's strength, not our own. As we sang about earlier, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God for those of us who are in Christ. No cosmic forces, no powers. But Paul also wants to give us hope. We are part of God's kingdom advancing into the present darkness here on earth. And one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I want to just reference this passage from the Old Testament. In 2 Samuel chapter 10, we see, we see Joab, who's the commander of King David's armies. He's confronted with a dire situation. The Israelites are surrounded by their enemies. In 2 Samuel chapter 10 verse 9, the Bible says, When Joab saw that there was a battle line in front of him and another behind him, he chose some of Israel's finest young men and lined up in formation to engage the Aramaeans. He placed the rest of the forces under the command of his brother Abishai. They lined up in formation to engage the Ammonites. If the Aramaeans are too strong for me, Joab said, then you will be my help. However, if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I'll come to help you. Be strong. Let's prove ourselves strong for our people and for the cities of our God. May the Lord's will be done. See, what Joab is doing here, what he sees, he sees the battle for what it really is. Instead of losing heart or faith, uh, Joab surveys the situation and he develops a strategy to confront it. He sees it clearly. He also realizes that he can't win this battle alone. So he's relying on others. He's relying on Abishai, his brother, to come to his aid if necessary. And, and Joab, he provides, he, he provides kind of a guide um, for how we can respond to some of the battles that we face. He demonstrates how we need to be prepared to help our brothers and sisters in Christ. We need to be prepared to come to their aid. And we also need to be prepared to receive their aid when we have battles that would, would overwhelm us. They face the struggle with courage and strength. And notice that Joab is ultimately relying on God's power to be on display. He appeals to God's power when he says that they will fight for the cities of our God. May God's will be done. You see how Joab is putting his strength in the Lord? If you go back and you look at this passage, you will spoil it or God crushes Israel's enemies. He crushes the Ammonites and he crushes the Ammonites. See, Joab faced a faith decision and all of us faced faith decisions. And Joab responded in faith. Notice how the shield of faith neutralizes Satan's attacks. When we respond in faith, this is how we neutralize Satan's attacks. When Jesus conducted his ministry on earth, he's healing the sick, he's comforting the weary, he brought the dead back to life, he cast out evil spirits. This is a foretaste of what he's going to do when he returns. And how does he respond to Satan's attack? He responds in faith and trust in God's word. The shield of faith deals with practical day-to-day faith. It's moving forward, trusting in God's character, his faithfulness in our lives. It's believing that he fulfills his promises to us. Carrying the shield of faith means choosing to walk by faith. 
And the distinguishing mark of God's people is that they consciously choose to live by faith. And we see this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, or verse 17. And so as the body of Christ, when you choose to follow Jesus, you carry a message that brings new life. You introduce healing to the brokenhearted. You bring a message of hope to the hopeless. You, when you carry one another's burdens, you are being a light to the world and bringing hope into the darkness of someone's struggle. The struggle is formidable, but we have direct access to the King of Kings. And we do this, we have this through prayer. God issues his fourth command in this passage to remind us of this reality. The last point is that we need to execute prayer as the PACE plan. The PACE plan, in the, in the Army, PACE stands for Primary, Alternate, Contingency, and Emergency. These are the forms of communication we use. So commanders always have a PACE plan. And, and the primary for, for us could be like a JCR. That's kind of like a computer terminal we, we use. It has GPS, so we can see one another's locations. We can send each other these sort of like text messages or these terminals. That's, that may be the primary. The alternate may be uh, FM radio. The, the contingency could be the Harris radio, a different type of radio. And then the emergency may be we send a runner. We're going to send soldiers maybe on, on foot or in a vehicle to go deliver the message so we can communicate. We always have a pace plan. Okay, God issues us a pace plan. All right. In this passage, the pace plan is primary prayer, alternate prayer. Contingency, prayer, emergency, prayer. It's really simple. Prayer. Prayer, it works. All right, so you, you don't have to try to remember all the different acronyms. You just, just go with prayer. You'll be all right. Look at verses 18 through 20. Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request. And stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known the boldness, the mystery of the gospel. Now, some, someone in here may be listening thinking, well, I do pray, but I, I don't feel like my prayers are getting through. I feel like I'm, I'm, they're getting jammed. Why doesn't God hear or answer me? So does God always hear our prayers or not? Well, the answer is no. Sometimes we sabotage our pace plans due to sin. In Isaiah 59, 2, the Bible says, But your iniquities are separating you from God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not listen. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 2, the Bible says, Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with a weaker partner, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. See, our relationships, our horizontal relationships with, with those in our family, those are our neighbors, those are other believers, if they are right, if we have sin in those relationships, they affect our vertical relationship. They affect our prayer life with God. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Confession and repentance, they open up the vertical lines of communication. And when we pray, he acts. He also intercedes for us, as we sang about earlier. But God tells us we need to pray for ourselves, but we also need to pray for others. Look at verse 19. Paul asked for intercessory prayer. Prayer emboldens other Christians to share the gospel. Prayer helps us persevere and continue to obey Christ. Prayer is such a powerful weapon that too often we, we neglect. We just keep it on the shelf. But notice what Paul doesn't ask for prayer. He doesn't ask for prayer for his health. Now, he may have. I mean, he's been shipwrecked multiple times. He's been beaten multiple times. He could have asked for prayer, but he's selective in his, in his request. He's asked for 
prayer because his most pressing desire is to advance the gospel. He's focused on his mission, and we need to emulate Paul. I'm not saying we shouldn't pray about health concerns because the Bible clearly says every request. We need to pray about every request. But what I'm suggesting is if we aren't praying for lost people, then there's probably something wrong with our spiritual lives. And we need to focus on our mission and refocus on our mission because our priorities are probably out of whack. I read a study uh, recently at a Baptist church where 26 individuals had experienced a struggle, a crisis in their life. Within the past two weeks. And these Christians came from all walks of life. They're dealing with death. They're dealing with marital infidelity. Maybe the loss of a child. Some some kind of major tragic circumstance. And these researchers from Texas Christian University. Interviewed and studied these believers. And they came to some interesting conclusions. The presence of others. Was one of the two or three most beneficial resources. That helped people get through the crisis. They came to one another's aids. The body of Christ. Prayer was one of the most important sources of support. The second and third types of prayer experience, knowing that others were praying for them and having someone actually pray with them, appeared to be most important. Our interviewees were virtually unanimous in describing the benefit of prayer set on their behalf by others. When we follow God's word, when we step out in faith and we trust him and we pray for others, we pray for needs, God acts. He answers prayers. In closing, this is how I believe Paul sees the Ephesian Christians. They are focused on the mission. Spiritually, he sees them as bold and strong as the Roman soldiers. They are grounded in their faith. He wants them to be as tough and fearless as the Roman soldiers that he has seen come to Christ through his ministry to the Imperial Guard. So, How do we stand against the enemy? We draw strength for the battle from the Lord and his unlimited arsenal. We stand against the enemy by donning our mission essential gear of God. We recognize the struggle is not what it seems on the surface. And we use this knowledge to grow our faith in God. And lastly, we execute prayer as the pace plan. God uses this to help us persevere, to gain boldness, encourage other believers, and get divine help. You can prepare for your battle by asking God for his strength through prayer. You can move forward in faith because the Lord of hosts goes before you.